Hi, I'm Gabriel Stelian Shanks, the Artistic Director of the Drama League in New York City. Welcome to Talking Direction, the behind-the-scenes podcast going deep into the worlds of theater, film, television, and online content to celebrate directors, those visionary artists at the center of the plays, musicals, movie, and television shows enjoyed around the world. Each week, we welcome acclaimed guests to explore imagination, risk-taking, and craft, as well as looking at the past, present, and future of the creative industries. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. We're available on all platforms or by visiting dramaleague.org. Thanks for listening and for talking direction. Hi, and welcome to Talking Direction. Emma Rosa Wendt is a freelance theater director who makes heartfelt, collaborative productions of new plays and classics. And it is for this work in particular for which she was selected from hundreds of applicants to be the current Drama League Classical Directing Fellow. As the finale of her long year fellowship with us, she will in just a few days make her debut with the acclaimed off-Broadway company Red Bull Theater, whose commitment to reimagining classic plays matches Emma's own passion. We are happy to be co-presenting Emma's debut with Red Bull later this week as she interprets John Lilly's fantastic Galatea for 2021, both as a digital theater production and in an interpretation that foregrounds Emma's commitment to racial justice, queer representation, and gender equity. You can reserve tickets through the Red Bull or Drama League websites or visit the comments on this episode for the link. In New York, Emma has developed and presented work with the Playwrights Realm, the Trans Lab at WP Theater, the Tank, the Brick, and many other venues. Across the country, you may have seen her work at the Weston Playhouse or the Scranton Shakespeare Festival or Boise Contemporary Theater. She's also been an assistant director for some of the world's most exciting companies, including Theater for a New Audience, Atlantic Theater Company, Rattlestick Playwrights Theater, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, and the Colorado Shakespeare Festival. She's a co-founder of The Reservationist with playwright Elsie Went, and it is my pleasure to welcome her to Talking Direction. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. Hello. It's so good to be with you today. Thank you for being here, and thank you for bringing Galatea to New York audiences. I'm so excited. I'm so thrilled to be working on this play. You know, one of the things that I've really enjoyed getting to know you and watching the way you work... Um, and maybe I need a little context for this. Um, you know, at the Drama League, I work with a lot of directors and, and a lot of early career directors. And one of the things I've noticed over the years is that they're really drawn to new plays. Um, you know, and, and we all are. You know, we all love a premiere. Um, <laughs> but even as they're drawn to sort of creating new plays, they're not really drawn to the concept of newness itself. And, you know, when I think about... Um, you know, theater traditions and theater practices across the world for in Europe, for example, or Asia, there's, there's a equal interest to the new play in the reimagining of a classic play, a new vision in approaching a classic for the time we're in. And I always felt like that's a missed opportunity for directors in America, you know, that it's, it's, you know, these are time tested, fabulous stories, and they have yeah. so much to say to our time. So I guess what I want to start with is you are, in some ways, an exception to the rule I'm talking about. You know? <laughs> um, as a director, why why are you drawn to that potential that classics have for us in today's world? Oh, that's such a good question. And there are so many answers. I mean, huh, I wouldn't be 
here. And I mean, I, I should preface that I also love a new play, but I wouldn't be here in this fellowship or working on this play or sort of just in my career in general if I didn't believe that classical poetry does something special and unique that other theatrical literature does not do inside the human body and sort of in the space between us, between the work and the audience. It's like the sensation that I that I have in it is that sometimes our sometimes emotions are too big for everyday colloquial speech. You know, I mean, it's the same reason it's the same reason why musical theater exists is that sometimes an an emotion is so big that it has to turn into song as it bursts out of the body. And I think that verse, you know, is exactly the same. And I don't know, there's something there's something so my theater company that I that I run with my partner else um is called the, the renovationists because what we're interested in I mean the sort of clues in the name because what we're interested in is sort of this idea of renovating the structures of these sort of forms that we've kind of inherited as a culture and for me that's one of the most sort of exciting opportunities is that I think in the American theater in the western theater you know we've it's like it's like having inherited an incredibly beautiful house, you know, and to me, it's sort of the opportunity is that just because the house may not have been constructed with all of us in mind at the time that it was built, it it's ours now. It doesn't mean that we can't move in and sort of change the wallpaper. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of a big thing. Yeah. Well, and it also makes me think about these structures, these mm-hmm. these these structural designs that these playwrights hundreds of years ago sometimes um, put together, they're really solid, you know, (laughs) but they were made for a time that isn't ours, you know, and, Mm. and there's sort of a radical difference Mm. to the moment where these plays were birthed and the moment we find ourselves in. And a phrase that I think I and the artistic staff have been so struck that you use with us over and over, is that you want to queer the classics. Hmm. Um, So I'd love to, and I, I, you know, if you don't mind sharing with our listeners, I would really love to have you drill down into that thought of queering a classic play. What Hmm. does that exactly mean to you? Totally. Well, the core of that really is just that it's really very selfish. It's that I want to be able to live as myself in the work that means the most to me. You know what I mean? It's about, it's about that, that structure, I suppose, the house that that form is. It's about coming home to it in the 21st century, in the year 2021, in all of our kind of multiplicity of identities as ourselves. And recognizing that that has a place in this work. You know what I mean? I One of my kind of missions is that I want to be part of the reason that more people come to associate these plays, not with the kind of, you know, stale maybe, or kind of antiquated cis white male, you know, kind of canon that they come from, but the opportunities that exist in the plays for us to explore much more kind of fluid and liquid identities than that. And what's interesting is that, I don't know, I mean, the plays have, 
that space exists. Once you start looking and sort of shining a light into the texts, you know, I mean, there's Shakespeare is queer all over, you know, obviously. And so many of the, I mean, to take gender as an example, you know, once you start to really examine, is maleness central to this or not? And can someone else slide right in there and their humanity fits in the same space, that starts to happen. And then you start to be like, oh, I could have ownership over this, you know? And that's really kind of a huge part of my goal is that queering the classics has to do with, say, inviting more people in and just saying, you know, you own this. This is, there's there's a home for you here. Yeah, yeah. there's a celebration of difference yes. inside the idea that I really respond to. And, mm. you know, I think even the language we're using, classics mm. is often code for, old. Um, we know that a lot of this comes from times when um, white heterosexual men um, did all of the theater. Um, and so it is about finding a place for everybody yeah. to see themselves in these beautiful, beautiful texts. And, yeah. and it's the it's this really marvelous way to um, come at a moment in time. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, we're talking about you doing Galatea in 2021. Mm -hmm. And I'm, obviously we have had to move to an online version of this. Yes. Um, and <laughs> so I'm curious about, before we talk about Galatea, uh, Galatea specifically, mm -hmm. um, what is it like for these plays in your view to live in a digital space? Mm -hmm. how, how does classic work um, matter to us during the pandemic? Mm -hmm. Well, the process of moving online has been really, really interesting because in a certain sense, it has been a real clarifier of mission for me about the fact that if your only weapons, because you have no design, you know, in the way that we think of it, and you have no, you have a really limited control over, you know, distance and even timing, you know, I mean, these are such, uh, we're getting more sophisticated as we go with zoom and stuff, but it's, it's, it's such a naked form that it really, in a way works really well for classical text because you have to just come home to language and story every time. And for me, that's a real, that's been a real celebration in a way of like the job always, the way that I think of it is just how to present the most activated, intimate delivery system of story to audience that you possibly can, no matter what container you're in. And I think it's been a real clarifier for me that like the, that mission, that, that task as a director never changes, no matter what the shape of the container is. And so if the digital space is the container right now, we have to learn to work intelligently inside of that form in a way that serves language first, especially in a heightened text play. And I think that's a cool challenge. And I don't know. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people are, of course, you know, desperate for us to get back into physical spaces and very, very anti-Zoom. But I, I don't know. I, I, I might have a minority opinion that it's not the same and it's not better, but I do think it works. Like I do still feel able to buy in if an actor is digging into language really beautifully, because that's all I need. Like I'm still, if they're in it, I'm still in it. Like I still feel connected and able to receive, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, you know, I, as you know, inside this fellowship, we've been working with all of you to sort of <clears throat> explore and experiment what liveness might 
mean in this environment? Mm. And we did a private workshop. It wasn't available to the general public, but <laughs> we worked with the director, Cheryl Collar and you mm. uh, and your and your fellow fellows <laughs> on uh, Antigone mm. um, through exploring what are the possibilities for a work that we all know like that mm. inside Zoom and inside technical spaces. And and one of my great theatrical moments of 2020, frankly, when I think about all the work I've seen, is you did a scene with L. Morgan Lee and Nathaniel Claridad that brought Antigone to life so deeply um, and in such a contemporary way. You know, we were we were obviously dealing with a very political moment at that moment. Mm. And here is a, a leader who is not really capable of caring for their people in the way that, that we need to. Mm. And, and you found humor and you found <laughs> brightness. Um, I, I just want to compliment you mm-hmm. on how this happens, you know. Thank you. Um, the container is fascinating. Yeah. It, it opens up possibilities. Absolutely. Um, of course, as we start to talk about other parts of your fellowship, which our listeners <laughs> will be able to see, we're, we're talking about other containers too, right? Yeah. The, the container of Red Bull Theater. Yeah. Know, one, of, one of the great classical companies of the United States. Yeah. Who has also had to pivot to online work during this time. Yeah. Um, I, I'm wondering, I, I know you're still in it right now mm-hmm. in a very, uh, you know, deep and immersed way, but I'm curious what it's been like to work with this company that you've admired and respected and in such an extraordinary moment like the one we're in. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, in short, it's been fantastic. You know, I mean, Red Bull, uh, yeah, I've, I've loved and admired Red Bull's work and, and sort of followed Jesse for many years. And, um, it's, I always felt like we would have sort of a simpatico um, energetically because I don't think that anybody there, and they're all terrific, would mind my saying this. It's real. It's big. They're big nerds over there. And it's like, I mean, where I, it feels good to me. To, I feel very at home in that space because we're big nerds in the same way. And like, speaking of coming home to, to story and language, I mean, one of the most interesting things, so many interesting things about working on the digital programming that Red Bull's been doing, one of the things that is most fun and has been most fun for me throughout this year has been on nights where Red Bull is presenting, where we're presenting, you know, digital readings to the public live to follow on YouTube, the chat, like the comments, the Red Bull audience is extraordinary. Like even, even in this limited, limited container that we've been talking about where, you know, I'm really, I admire the way the audience has pivoted because it's so, it's been really encouraging and awesome and really affirming to watch Red Bull's audience receive these plays and be so excited about the fact that they're still happening, the fact that they're still being offered with such a degree of accessibility. The presentations are all free and, um, and the audience, loves the texts. It's just so fun to look at the chat and see people, you know, talk about different editions and different choices and like debate, you know, characters and lines. And it's, it's, it's sort of incredible. So that's been a really interesting thing, but also 
Of course, it's been really inspiring to work with, you know, brilliant directors like Jesse and like Amelia Ben-Susan and other people that I've worked with with them as they navigate the container and figure out, okay, here are all the givens, but also this is how I can put my own stamp on the work and, and still bring a style to it. And that has made me feel like it's very much possible to still retain your style and your playfulness inside the form. I... I am nearly tearing up hearing you talk um, <laughs> because I, I think we don't talk enough about how extraordinary our audiences have been yeah. in, in the pandemic. They are coming along the ride with us in large part and, yeah. and are really sending us, I, I mean, I'm sure it's at every company, but at the yes. Drama League, we're receiving emails of like, thank you for this podcast. Thank mm. you for uh, being present and being in the world. And, and um, yeah. you know, they, they deserve some credit for also mm. pivoting in this moment they've yes. done a great job yes well i want so as you are a part of red bull mm. uh, i was lucky enough to be in the conversations with you and jesse berger the artistic director of red bull as you pitched to us john <laughs> Lilly's galatea and i think all three of us got excited very quickly about <laughs> your vision for this work um, it's a play that many of our listeners may not know, though. So yeah. could you tell us a little bit about Galatea? Absolutely. Yeah, well, it's. Um, I did get excited really quickly. It's a play I didn't know until I was looking for plays for this purpose, you know, to present with the Drama League and with Red Bull. And I feel like I want to say that it was suggested to me by a scholar friend who said, you'll like this because you like the finding yourself in the woods plays. <laughs> and I really do like the finding yourself in the woods plays. If you know, if it's not too um, kind of technical, I'm sort of obsessed with the pastoral as a form in the way that it exists in Elizabethan comedy, because I think some people think of it as being kind of quaint or kind of twee or whatever. And I think that the core message that returning to nature will bring you closer to who you truly are as a human person and that that's what the the journeys are about in that form is incredible and exactly what we need right now. So there's that. I went into it hoping for that and then I found it. But Galatea is um, a radical queer love story, you know, centering two women who go into the wilderness and fall in love. And the central tension is really just how do they feel about that? And it, it's, not it, it shares a lot of DNA with As You Like It in, in a certain sense, which is another play that I really love, in that it also dramatizes sort of a contrast between the world of men and the world of the divine and of nature. And there's something special about Galatea that that does it does something different than other pastoral plays that I love. So it has the kind of it has the ingredients of things that I love, but it also has other special ingredients on top of that in that it's populated by gods and nymphs and spirits and these divine beings. And I really got excited about an opportunity to, to explore the full expression of identity that might be possible across all of these beings, these magical creatures who have sort of decided to take human forms in order to populate this comedy. And I recognized a really, um, a, a really happy opportunity to play with how they express gender inside of those forms and how they, and how they, how they express love and desire and, and longing inside of those forms. And it's just a really expansive, um, 
playful piece of writing. And, and it's really, it felt really, really modern to me. It was shocking to me, some of the language, some of the radical language in this play that was written in 1588. You know, I felt like it was written yesterday. And that's the exact kind of thing that I'm talking about in terms of why classical theater is relevant in this moment. It's like so many, I didn't know about this play until last year. And it's not, there's so many homes that are sort of twinkling out there in the distance that we haven't read and come home to yet. So I was so excited to dive into it. Yes. And I might add an adjective. I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, mm. but when, when I probably hadn't read this play since college, frankly, yeah. it, had, it had been decades. Yeah. And when I reread it after you proposed it, mm. I was like, this play is wacky. It's so wacky. <laughs> It's so wacky. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it's, it is a jumble of sort of mythic elements. And yet at the same time, an incredibly contemporary, like, you know, sort of rom-com love story. Yeah. Yeah. And even though you are presenting it online, yeah. uh, it, you know, and, and I don't want to give away anything that you're planning to do with it too much. Yeah. But um, as you think about it now, as you're digging into it, is this a work that you like dream of a production when we return to live performance? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would. Um, the whole This whole year thinking about the play has been dreamy. Because you know what I started really thinking about is that after this, even as I was pitching Galatea, it occurred to me that everything that I was gravitating toward was a really big hearted, love filled comedy. And I think that the world wants that right now. And, you know, this is like, I think about what do I want to give to my community because I think about what I want to be given, you know, and the answers to that as an audience member, as an artist are, you know, joy, acceptance, love, permission, you know, I think that when we step back into the theater after all of this time, we want to walk into spaces like that where we feel invited to be our full selves, you know? And I think that the, I, I urgently want to walk into a rehearsal room where I get to work on this play. Well, and, and that joy and yeah. that energy is exactly what I think so many of us are hoping for Yeah, as performances resume mm. in the United States. Yes. I, I wonder if, you know, we could use the filter of the play to ask you about what you sort of hope for mm. as we move forward. Are you are you hoping to see change in our field and in our world? Our energy, yes. excitement? How how are those things going to manifest in your work going oh, forward? Man. That's such a big question. I mean, I just think that we're all going to be. I think that the energy of the grind is gone you know, because we haven't been able to grind in quite the same way. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I've still been, you know, I don't know how to rest. And so I've still been, you know, turning my wheels. But I think that there's going to be a sort of softness when we walk back into spaces that feels mm. like, you know, sort of crustaceans with the shell taken off. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of sort of soft underbelly exposed in the best possible way. I think we're going to be ready to be vulnerable with each other in the work and in our lives and in our practices. I think that, I mean, my energy walking back into a space is like, I'm going to be really clear with the people that I work with that I love them and I'm grateful to be there, you know? And I think that everybody is going to have that going on, this thing of like, 
how privileged are we to do this work? How excited are we? How can we most urgently and holistically make room for more people so that we can all like get the party going again in the, in the best possible way. You know, I mean, I think, I think it's going to be a really squishy time. (laughs) That's what, that's what I want in my work. Anyway, I want the broadest possible table with the most love being shared. Yeah, I agree completely. I I don't think it can be understated how much American theater artists want to come back and come back better. Yes. Um, and and the energy of that is really going to propel us, yeah. I think, to some very exciting things. Yeah. So what great plays or musicals are on your bucket list that you hope to get a chance to direct at some point during your career? Mm. This is such a this is such a good big scary question. Um so many. I mean, one part of me always feels like I want to go back to things that really broke me open and sort of woke me up, you know, that I've already worked on, but just to offer on much bigger canvases on a kind of much larger scale. So, you know, talking of the pastoral, I do want to do as you like it again. I want to do it in a big way um, because similar to the great play Galatea by John Lilly, it's about the fact that, you know, nobody is past rehabilitation. Nature is the answer everything that is out of harmony inside of society can be reharmonized by nature. And I really believe in that message. And I, and I want to kind of keep exploring and I think it's part of what we need, but also, you know, I want to equally, I want to dive into big gnarly questions that I've kind of, you know, there's always a bucket list. That's like, that's a really big play. I'll get to that later, you know? And I mean, I want to do Hamlet. Like I want to, I want to, I want to think about the meaning of existence. I want to do, I want to do big, chewy work. Also, I mean, on the new play, on the new play front, I do sort of have to shout out that my um, my partner, Else, who's a brilliant playwright, um, has a play called Initiative that I workshopped with them at the Playwrights Realm last year. And aside from classical work, of which there are, you know, lots and lots of titles that I want to that I want to run out into the world and work on. Else's play Initiative is um, it's an epic saga about a bunch of Uh, high school kids sort of coming of age at the turn of the last millennium. And it's incredibly beautiful and about growing up queer and poor in America. And it's, um, it's really, really beautiful. And that is really urgently coming out of my skin too. I really want to, I want to collaborate with them on that as soon as I can too. I, uh, just, uh, I realized this is a podcast speaking to you, but I also want to shout out that Else is one of the playwrights. Everyone within the sound of our voices should be oh, following. Um, it just thank you. wonderful, wonderful work. Yeah. Um, but that, um, talking about your partner who mm. is a writer, I, yes. it leads me to a similar bucket list question. I'm wondering, Ooh. are there, um, dream collaborators, people you really oh. admire that you, you know, would love to get a chance to work with in the future? Oh, yes, 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 of course. I mean, the first, the first people that come to my mind are actors, which is interesting, you know, I mean, like the first, my mind is sort of crowded by all of the, oh, all of the, the interpreters of Shakespeare who are performers who have most moved me, I think in the last years. I mean, I think about, um, 
great young British sort of interpreters like Ruth Nega and Jada Nuka and and I don't know, really physical, really physical actors like that. And but then of course there are so many like New York legends in the classical theater that I'm like dying to work with. I want to work with Tina Benko, I want to work with John Douglas Thompson, you know, just the the people that I've grown up seeing in the theater who have moved me so much i mean playwrights it's kind of hard because so many of my uh so many of my faves are dead or the person i'm married to but i mean when i think about playwrights i want to work with it's like legends you know it's like kushner or maybe people who do big work maybe jez butterworth i would Mm. i would love to take a crack at one of his someday and Oh, just uh, this is sort of a cop out answer. But part of this has to be for me that when I think about designers, I just think about collaborators that I've been kind of in the trenches with in the last, you know, eight or 10 years in New York making work with. And I just dream of being able to pay them properly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, like uh, people I want to shout out who are like my favorite, you know, set designer, John Bondi, set designer, Dan Daly, lighting designer, Christy Angelo, like people who I've made a lot of work with who I really, really admire and think are geniuses. I want to be able to keep working with that, with those people at just like a, a scale where they get everything they want. <laughs> well, this is one of the most beautiful things about you, Emma, to me, is that you you marry the idea of working with a Ruth Nega or a John Douglas Thompson, you know, mm. an art, artist of the highest caliber that yeah. every director in the world would love to work with, yeah. with the desire simultaneously to make sure that artists are paid adequately for their work <laughs> yeah. and uh, that we come back maybe in 2021 and beyond yeah. with a sense that we can celebrate more people, that there yeah. are there are geniuses just like Ruth and John yeah. out there in the world. Um, that we simply haven't made room for yet. Yes. And and we can find room for them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I have one final sort of question for you. Mm. And, it's, and it comes out of that spirit that I think you embody for me so much. I think, you know, you are a part of our programs. We have selected you from you know, a worldwide talent pool to sort of lift up in this moment. And it, and I wonder if um, your fellowship, and this is something I think about a lot, what is it like to be a director emerging on the national scene in this moment, in this moment of crisis and turmoil and everything else? If there's one thing that um, either this fellowship or 2020 has sort of given you as a, yeah. as a sort of guiding piece of something you're going to take as you move out of it. Um, mm. Do you have a, do you have a thought to that of sort of like what, you know, we have a lot of directors listening. We have a lot of audience members who are, <laughs> who are eager, who listen to this. What's some wisdom that maybe you have encountered that you could, you know, oh. um, move forward with? Oh my moment? goodness. That's huge. Um, Well, there are so many directions that I could go with this, and I'll probably just kind of rattle them off and figure it out. I mean, the stakes of this moment, this is going to be cliche sounding, but I think that going back to the audience and how the audience has pivoted, the stakes of this moment, this is life and death, you know, like the on the national scale, on the global Mm -hmm. scale, this is 
the most serious crisis that has faced, you know, many of us, obviously in the industry, but also just in the world. And I think that what it has actually demonstrated is that people will want stories no matter what is falling apart. It's that it's that there, there is nothing that can take the desire to share and receive story away. I think that's I think that's really really bedrock. I think that we thought we knew that anyway, but I don't think that we knew it the way we know it now, which is that what I'm going to remember when we're back in physical space is like those people in the Red Bull chat on YouTube who were like, "Thank God for this play." And it's like this gorgeous obscure Spanish golden age play that no one had ever read and everybody was like, "I'm obsessed with this. This is great." <laughs> you know, and like and I mean all these kinds of things. Just like people People showed up with their arms open the whole time to be like, I still want this. Give it to me. Even when I'm like, you know, even when we're all freaking out and on unemployment and like getting COVID tested every five seconds and flipping out about the about what's happened to our careers. You know what I mean? I think that we've been given something sort of better, which is this, I mean, not that I would wish any of it again or or wish any of it to have happened. It's been dire it's been terrifying every moment but at the same time i think what we've a thing that we've learned is that in terror even people still will make stuff and people will still show up to the stuff that we've made and that's extraordinary because i i i miss the audience so much i miss the i miss hugging my collaborators so much like i said i just think that we're all going to get softer because we're going to remember how much we missed each other and I think that we're, I, I think that there is something about, I think we're not going to have to work very hard when we go back into rooms to act like what we do is important, like to, to remind people, to get people to buy in, which is part of the director's job. You know, when you go into the room, part of what you're doing is to be like, okay, this is where the ship is headed and the goal matters so that people are motivated to follow, like, so that people are motivated to do the work and be like, yeah, I'm going to give everything I have to this because it matters. I don't think that we're going to have to work to stress that anymore. I think we know. Right. That it, I mean, such beautiful thoughts. And now you've got me when I, when I come to see Galatea in a few days, I'm going to now have to watch the comments. Um, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm God, really I hope so. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really excited to be in an audience and share thoughts in real time in that way. That's, yeah. It's like an added bonus I hadn't even thought about. So yeah. um, I'm really excited. So uh, I just want to remind everybody, um, please come out and support Emma and this mm-hmm. extraordinary group of artists who are working this time. I think you'll be really happy seeing Galatea. Again, you can find it on the Red Bull Theater website or at dramaleague.org uh, for attendance information. Emma, what a pleasure. Thank you and congratulations. I'm really excited to share your work with the world. Thank you so much. It has been so meaningful to be part of the Drama League at this time. Thank you. And everybody, we will see you next time on Talking Direction. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode of Talking Direction. Join us every week by subscribing while you're here. Also, let us know what you think. You can follow us and engage with us directly on all social media platforms with the handle at Drama League. Talking Direction is a project of the Drama League of New York, America's only not-for-profit, lifelong home for stage directors and the audiences who treasure their work on stage, in films, 
on television, and across the internet. During the pandemic, we're providing essential services to help theater folk and their families who are suffering from economic and health struggles due to COVID-19. If you'd like to join us in this effort, visit dramaleague.org and click donate or become a member. We'd love to have you as part of the Drama League family. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.